Awesome admission professionals. This podcast is the Admissions Entrepreneur, a day in the life. I'm your host, Tom Skank. I'm the founder of Dartmouth Associates, and we are the creators of the Results Oriented Recruiting System, otherwise known as ROAR, a proprietary enrollment intervention that integrates entrepreneurial thinking and sales fundamentals to immediately help schools in crisis. We are also the first and only global consultancy to assist K-12 independent schools with their enrollment needs and through integrated multimedia campaigns, introduce schools to companies that bring best-in-class products and services that enhance their recruiting process from around the world. Dartmouth Associates offers 360 enrollment audits, online results-oriented recruiting training, executive admission masterclasses, keynote addresses, conference facilitation, and director placement searches. We also offer three integrated media campaigns designed to both exalt and align admission professionals from around the globe. This podcast, The Admissions Entrepreneur, A Day in the Life, our Roar Magazine, the first ever upscale lifestyle publication for the admission professional, and the San Diego Admission Fest Summit, Power Marketing for the New Era. These diverse campaigns are also designed to offer aggressive sponsorship opportunities for companies wanting to exhibit their products and services to the admission office market. If you need recruiting help or would like to promote your products or services, please email us at dartmouthassociates at gmail.com or go to our website at www.dartmouthassociates.com. Today, we're bringing fun and insights to your profession. We have incredible guests who share their unique life stories with you. So please make sure to catch each and every episode and like, subscribe, and share. Now, let's get started. Well, welcome listeners. This is Tom Skank, and we've got another fantastic guest here on the Admissions Entrepreneur. With me today is Amy Graham. She is the newly appointed Dean of Enrollment Management at Stevenson School in California. She will begin her tenure this July. Currently, Amy is the Director of Enrollment Management at Pomfret School in Pomfret, Connecticut, a position she's held since 2016. Prior to Pomfret, Amy led the admission office at Midland School in California from 2011 to 2016. First, as the Director of Admissions and Financial Aid, and later as the Assistant Head of School for Enrollment Management. Before Midland, Amy held leadership positions in admissions and advancement at the Family School in California, the Dunn School in California, and the Hill School in Pennsylvania. Amy holds a Bachelor of Science in Marketing from the University of Connecticut and a Master of City and Regional Planning from California Polytechnic State University. Amy is a member of the Independent Educational Consultant Association of Schools Committee and a faculty member of the Enrollment Management Association's Admissions Training Institute. Amy, welcome. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Well, I've been looking forward to this. I thought we might start out with this question. 
you've had an incredible tenure in the admissions profession. What would you say might be the top three dramatic changes that you've seen since you started in this profession? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think most professionals working today realize that there was a systemic change in the work that we do. There was a time that admissions, while still a grind and hard, it was much more of a passive pursuit in the sense that you would be responsive to inquiries, applications. Um, and, and as we've moved into this enrollment management model, admissions professionals have had a seat at the table in both the finance side of things, working on tuition setting, having that opportunity to think about uh, budget, financial aid, being strategic in that area in terms sure. of enrollment numbers, the importance of marketing and how sophisticated that's become over the last decade, absolutely. Um, need for a social media presence, need for branding and messaging, and knowing that um, as we as an institution, when we think about boarding schools, have moved into a sphere of selling a luxury product. You know, many of us are well over the $60,000 mark for annual tuition. And I do remember when I started in the business, um, worrying uh, what we would do when we crossed the $40,000 threshold. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and so realizing what is our value add? How are we going to share that with families? And, and so I think that's been the biggest change and the importance of really being able to authentically share your school's story and be that matchmaker to bring mission-appropriate kids to your institution so that they're well-positioned to find success in your environment and have opportunities beyond your doors. So I think that has been a huge shift and has required admissions professionals, not just to be people, people, <laughs> but to have um, kind of that, those analytical skills, uh, the importance of understanding that, having some marketing savvy as well, being well-versed in what's happening on the internal side of your community, um, the academics. And so really being a person that is always a seeker of new information to better understand your school. So, you know, I found that to be really exciting uh, to get beyond your office, get beyond being on the road and really be immersed in the day to day as well. Well, you're absolutely right. And that's certainly something that has resonated with some of your colleagues in that there, there is never uh, a point where you say, I know all I need to know. You have to be that entrepreneur. And, and seek the best information from wherever it may come. I think in the past, folks in admissions have kind of done what the person down the street has been doing. But now the whole corporate world is, is perhaps a potential for finding the best ways to engage our families. Absolutely. And be willing to, to consist, to learn and be nimble enough to examine your process, your procedure, and evaluate year over year. Is this going to serve me well moving forward? I think this pandemic is a great example. Uh, no one was able to take the previous playbook and just put it right <laughs> on top That's of great. what we've done right now. And we all made this pivot 
um, learning on the fly how to do Zoom, how to bring families onto our campus and understand our environments without allowing them to set foot on our campuses. And I can imagine as we go back to that new normal that um, there's going to be a holdover of some of the great things that we were able to accomplish. Um, the opportunity to use Zoom as a tool to be yes. able to gather 100 plus families on a given Wednesday night from around the world. Um, that wasn't the way of doing business. That's right. Ago. And so knowing that this is a a tool that is likely not going away, but how is it going to be merged with that standard operating procedure of meeting folks in their home environment, getting to know them on in their space while bringing them into our environment through this virtual platform? Let me ask you uh, about the change in titles. Um, what is, you know, because everybody has kind of given me a different um, answer, but how would you differentiate between the director of admission and the director of enrollment management? Do you, I mean, uh, is that a model where you would have both in the same office or is it just a switch in title and scope of responsibility? Well, I think every institution has made that leap uh, for different reasons and there may not be one stock answer. I liken it to when development made the change to advancement. Um, as you know, you know, gone are the days that you hear about a director of development. It's often a director of advancement is the new norm there. You know, why I think this role and this title better explains the work I do, as we just talked about, admissions is one piece of the enrollment management puzzle. Marketing and communications and having an active voice there is important. Having a voice into um, the programming, the academic programming of the school. Is it serving the population that's coming through those doors? Having a voice when it comes to finance and business side, tuition setting. Um, and I think thinking about retention and um, data analysis, enrollment management is much stronger umbrella to really capture the work that a, a professional in this field needs these days. Um, and it's not to say that admissions is the core of the work we do, absolutely. But it, it at least explains that no longer are we siloed and that we have a place at the table in the senior leadership team, working closely with the CFO, working closely with the academic team, having a strong partnership with the dean's office. And as we look at programming changes that institutions need to make, being, uh, being a thought leader in that area as well, having an understanding of what students and families are looking for, as well as um, how to best serve the population that you have in your community. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that, uh, that, that makes uh, that make good, good sense of the whole approach. And, and I know it's, uh, it's, it's still in a in an area of development and morphing as we speak. Absolutely. Let me talk a little bit to you about the whole prospect of deputizing, if you will, the whole community to serve as ambassadors for the admission office. What is it that you do? Because I know it's, it, 
it's tough to, to kind of corral and train volunteers, uh, but certainly parents are some of our best advocates uh, for new parents. What is your approach to involving parents to help with the admissions office? Yeah, I think, you know, as you said, you know, it's really important. Parents are our current consumers mm -hmm. and we want them to tell, tell their story. Um, as we know, no one gets a haircut without asking their neighbor, oh, where do you get your haircut? So when you think about um, exploring independent school and boarding schools specifically. This episode is sponsored by School Connections. The idea is simple, affordable and meaningful venues for traditional boarding schools, therapeutic schools and domestic and international educational consultants to come together for informational and networking purposes. This process ultimately leads to the successful placing of students into the most compatible environments. School Connections workshops involve multiple individual meetings between educational consultants and admissions representatives from schools and programs. Their workshops range from two to three days and allow attendees to maximize their time with individual appointments in one workshop in one location. I know from experience, School Connections is a fantastic program. And if you are looking for students, please reach out to them at schoolconnections.org. That's schoolconnections.org. We want our parents to be well armed with information about Pomfret and how we meet the needs of students. And so we've had a long standing parent admissions committee, mm. um, a group of families that we encourage and bring in and educate about Pomfret. Um, we certainly hope that all our families can, can rattle off the basic facts. Sure tell their story, but, but we really want to encourage those that want to be ambassadors for the school that they have the information they need to do that. So, you know, Pomfret as an institution provides a weekly parent newsletter uh, to all parents, but we do have monthly meetings with our parent ambassadors, giving them an update on the cycle of admissions, kind of their role in this process how they can be of assistance. You know, for many in the fall, it's about making, spreading the word, um, whether you're at a sideline of a soccer game or you, you're at a dinner party. It's a great way to talk about your, your experience with us. The winter time is often engaging with families that are already in our process. Um, this year, especially as um, inquiring and implying families weren't able to be on campus to be able to tell the story of, of a current parent's Pomfret experience. We partnered many of our inquiries and applicants with current families to speak on the phone or Zoom or via email to answer some of those parent-to-parent -parent questions. Um, in the springtime, it's the same thing, you know, making sure as those families are weighing the pros and cons of their many schools that they may have gotten into, that they can hear from our current families why they come back year after year and stay with us and, and how this this has transformed their child. So I think parents are a critical component of the admissions process, along with faculty. You know, I often say, um, you know, we didn't yield the incoming class alone. It, it's a whole school effort. So from current families to our teaching faculty, to our coaches, to our program directors, to our students, 
um, it really is uh, something that needs to be celebrated by the whole community. And so, you know, I lead from a point of transparency. I want everyone to be well-informed to know where we are, what we need, what's happening in the admission cycle. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, it's so crucial to give these parents talking points, mm -hmm. if you will. Obviously, they're going to talk from their heart as well, but there is, there is that, that need for specific facts. Just to uh, go a little further with this, how did you actually determine who you want to recruit to be on these parent uh, committees? <laughs> well, oftentimes it was a highly engaged parent during the admissions process okay. that was asking all those probing questions and um, it ends up, you know, high buy-in, wanting to really be able to spread the, spread the word of, but we also partner with our advancement office that annually during the registration process, we do send out um, a notice saying, you know, the admissions team is always looking for parent ambassadors. If this is an area of interest, if you'd like to be a point person for prospective families, if you'd like to host a reception, if you would be interested in joining us here on campus for any of our interview days or events, and then really, taking that list of families and um, often now having Zoom introduction meetings, setting them up with what, what the expectations are, what that workload might be, and then um, working with them through that process. So as you said, that they're well-armed with the facts, graduation requirements, signature programs, you know, they're experiencing it with their child, but we want them to be an extension of what we do in admissions. So having them have those key talking points and then, you know, placing them where they feel most comfortable. You know, for some it's being on the website and in receiving email inquiries sure. from prospective families. For others, they love picking up the phone um, and, and connecting with folks. Others wanna write letters. So we really try to use the skills of the interested parents to advance our goals of having that parent-to-parent -parent engagement. Well, that, that sounds like a terrific approach because in a way it's very organic. These people have almost self-qualified themselves based upon their, their initial enthusiasm. I'm also delighted to hear that you see that natural relationship between advancement and admissions because I remember being in an office, we would never even talk to those folks. But in, in many cases, we were the ones who could identify, identify first who these donor types might be as well. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think I may be in a unique position is I started my professional career in the fundraising lane. Oh, okay. Uh, so I worked right out of college for a, a a community action agency. I worked for a symphony orchestra. Mm. I worked for a college as a prospect researcher. And oh, I've done wow. major gifts work as well, as well as parent fund and annual fund. And so I understand that it's very much built on the transformative experience a student receives while they're at your institution. That'll translate down the line to a deep connection and again, mm -hmm. a sense of yes. giving. And the parents are a core that you have for only typically if you're a high school, four years and important to um, capture their enthusiasm and their energy during that period of time. So I've, I've always seen 
since I've been in admission, advancement as partners. You know, we have to be singing the same song in harmony. Um, And that becomes really important because we all want to give an authentic window into what's happening right now Mm -hmm. and echo each other in how we're describing it. And then there's an opportunity to partner in terms of marketing and collateral material. You know, I, in every institution, I love to stake all the materials and put them on a big table, anything that comes out of an institution. Um, So advancement, all their material, admissions, any internal things, college counseling guides, do they have the same look and feel? Does a family feel that it's, these are all siblings, that they're all part of the same family? They need to, because we're one school. And while we can't have one voice, we all need to be in harmony. And so that's really important to me. So being a, um, a bridge and not working in a silo is certainly something I bring to every organization. I, I want to get to know my partners um, in, in the advancement office, in the academic office, in the business office, um, you know, throughout campus. And so um, I think that's a big part of it. Well, now that you've said that you that you were in advancement, uh, what drew you to admissions rather than to stay in advancement? Um, you know, it's interesting. I um, was living on a boarding school campus and working in advancement, and I was doing dorm duty and helping kids in the in the dorm and being at seated meals and things like living the moment, and that was wonderful. But my work was centered around building that bridge to the past and talking about what was happening in the 70s or the 80s. <laughs> and and I, there was a longing to be more fully present and engage with students and families in the here and now. And okay. so I really positioned myself as I have all the transferable skills to be an admissions professional. I can make connections. I can steward someone through a process. I can tell an authentic story. I am well organized. I can throw events, things like that. It was really like, someone give me a chance. (laughs) Um, And I did. And uh, the folks at Dunn School were the first to bring me on um, as an assistant director of admissions. And I fell in love with it. Um, I loved running the tour guide program. I loved meeting and interviewing families. I loved being out on the road and telling the school story. And it it really just snowballed from there. Um, I think I would describe myself as as someone who's inquisitive, who loves to learn, and the chance to be able to advance in this profession, there was, you know, tremendous opportunity. Well, I have done both. And I've got to say, certainly, I feel that being an admissions professional is absolutely far and away the toughest position of the two. Admissions probably kept me up more nights than than fundraising did. Uh, I think there was just so many moving parts. And particularly these days, there really isn't a slow season. No, I think that, you know, I certainly when I moved into admissions, um, it was certainly as we were heading towards the 2008 crash. Um, and I, I think that, you know, great timing, but it really was the, the kickoff of, in many ways, the 12 month admission cycle that, that um, there was a diminishing number of students and families yes. looking at boarding or independent schools and that we were all chasing after the same people. 
And it, it really required a level of, you know, can do and willing to, to fish in new wells and things like that and, and to go out there and give it a whirl. And so I think for me, uh, taking my advancement experience where, um, gosh, not everyone is welcoming your call every time <laughs> um, and knowing that we needed to expand our net, um, that really, really needed to go out and not just rely on feeder schools and consultants and others, but really have we mined all the opportunities to engage with possible students and families and what other avenues would present themselves and how would we might go about it? So I think moving into that period of time with an open mind and realizing that you're not going to, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So there really isn't a finish line at admissions. You have to have your first round, but you also have to have a strategy for that late pickup, that spring, summer, if that's appropriate for your organization, that and also educate your faculty. Not everyone is aware that schools have a January deadline and April 10 doesn't mean anything to some people. And so it's important that families that come late to the process can be shepherded through and, and, you know, find that best right fit because for some families, they think they're, they're early to the game when they start looking in April for a September start. That's right. That's right. And, and for so many families, this is a brand new process you know, probably the last time they were involved in missions was their own college careers. Yeah. And now they've got, uh, you know, that emotional investment with a child and all that that carries with it. This episode is sponsored by the Independent Educational Consultants Association. It is the largest and most respected organization representing independent educational consultants. An IECA member educational consultant is a skilled professional who provides counseling to help students and families choose a school that is a good personal match, one that will foster the student's academic and social growth. IECA members adhere to the strictest ethical standards in the profession, visit hundreds of campuses each year, and are among the most experienced educational consultants in the profession. They focus on finding the best match between student and school. Many schools have gained students from new communities because of their outreach to IECA members. Personally, I was a director of admissions for 20 years, and the IECA consultants were crucial in helping me find the best mission-appropriate students. They are fantastic people to work with. In fact, national and regional media, as well as government agencies, rely on IECA as the authority of the profession. IECA is consistently cited by the media as the association with ethical, student-centered advising. For more information on how to connect with IECA members, go to iecaonline.com. That's iecaonline.com. Com. Let me ask you a little bit about consultants. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation recently with Mark Sclaro, the executive director of the IECA. And he was saying to me that still consultants are having trouble distinguishing between schools in the way that the admissions professional was presenting the school. There was not some clear delineation about the culture of that particular school. So when a consultant saw a student, they'd say, my gosh, that absolutely is 
there's a pomfret kid, for example. Um, what is your approach and how do you work with consultants to make sure that it's, it's positive and they're very clear about what type of student excels at pomfret in this case? Yeah, well, I've certainly taken advantage of attending um, the IECA conferences uh, for years and um, our organization, the Great Boarding Schools Association, um, will host mixers and give us opportunities to share our pomfret story. We've also, um, in non-COVID times, have had consultant tours on campus. I think giving them the opportunity to see the school in action. Um, being a partner in giving presentations to teams and to consultants, uh, a summary of what we do and how we do it, and then access to key, key faculty. Um, you know, for example, if you have a learning support program, important that that director can really articulate um, the type of student that can be well served by your program and, and making sure, as you said, that the consultant feels really confident in when they are working with a student and a family that they can come up with an appropriate list for that family that, that could, you know, be a good fit. And so I think the feedback loop is really important. You know, when in fact a consultant makes a recommendation and you're really feeling that that's not an alignment with the, the student that might be well positioned in the admissions process to, uh -huh. to share that, to say, yeah. you know, I really would love to understand, you know, why you thought Johnny might have been a good fit for the school. You know, where I'm seeing a disconnect is, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, and I do remember when I first started here at Pomfret, I was really intentional in reaching out to the consultants that have had relationships or consultants that I had relationships with that didn't necessarily have relationships with the institution and, and really get that feedback. Um, tell me what you know about Pomfret and how do you see the school? What type of student will you typically recommend? And I think as an information gathering, that was really helpful to understand how they were seen. And as I moved you know, into my first year, second year, being able to educate where I thought, felt there might have been a disconnect and provide opportunities to give that authentic window in who we are and what we do. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel that educational consultants are, are great partners in the admissions process. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Obviously, you've had a very stellar career, but um, even the great ones uh, have years where you think, I just can't make it. Um, can you talk about perhaps a, a, a time or a year where it was really a dark period for you as a professional when you felt the most challenged and th that period where you say, you know, maybe I better sharpen my resume and look at something else? Um, you know, it's a great question. I think personally, I've always kept a really high bar for myself. And I as I mentioned, kind of rose through the ranks pretty quickly, moving from an associate, taking the reins and being a director and assistant head of school out on the West Coast, and was really grateful for the opportunity to move from a small shop in California to take over an office of eight professionals here at Pomfret. And that was a big leap. Um, and I can, all self-imposed, I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself um, and while I wouldn't say that was a dark time, it was a time that um, I think I put self-care on the back burner in a way that I've learned. Uh, it's you got to put your oxygen mask on first. Type yes, of yes. 
you know, wanting to um, just do everything and learn everything and stay on top of everything and be a great manager. I was working a solid six to seven days a week. Um, and, um, you know, no one was standing over me saying, Amy, this is what you had to do. But it was all feeling as I had a lot to prove. And, uh, you know, I wish I said to myself, Amy, you deserve to be here. You have everything um, to take care of yourself. You've got a great plan and, and let it let it work through. Um, so I when I look back, I think that was the most challenging time that um, not to, yes, as, as a senior administrator, you do have the weight of sure. enrolling the school, but, but not let yourself crush under that. It, you have partners, you, you are not doing this alone and, and remind yourself that. I think that was really challenging. As someone who didn't go to independent school, um, I think that in some ways is my superpower. Um, mm. When I think about it, because think about families that are new to this process. Absolutely. They're all concerned that there's some sort of secret handshake that they don't know and, <laughs> and, and, and the jargon and things like that. And so really being able to meet them where they are and, and you know, while being at this school and being a part of this community to say, this is a warm and welcoming place. Although you don't have a background in independent school, that doesn't mean that you're not well positioned to be successful here. Um, and so I've really taken my own personal background and being able to build that as a connector with families, because I understand, as we just said before, we're asking families to put their child out to be evaluated. And by the way, if you're applying for financial aid, please open up your entire you know, tax <laughs> return too while we're at it. And um there's a level of exposure that is hard for families. Um, and the idea that their child may not get in or this may not be able to work, that's something that they really want is challenging and recognizing that and having, having heart in this process is so important. And knowing that um, while we may be going through our steps, accept, wait list, reject, someone's receiving that. Someone's sitting with that. And, and what does that mean for that student or family? So, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. No, I did not go to a boarding school either, but I had the luxury of meeting my wife in New York City, who was a four year girl from Stony Burnham. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. You, you mentioned secret handshakes. It's amazing the amount of connections that people can make if they've been in that world. You either know somebody who went to another school or a brother went there. And but all of a sudden you're there in that world for a while. And then you too start making those connections would make which makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's a um, I think anyone who's been at a boarding school has a shared experience of yes. the independence of living away from home and um, building those deep and lasting friendships and having mentors other than your parents have a key role in your development. And um, it doesn't matter which school you went to, you can make that type of connection based on that shared experience. This episode is brought to you by ISCA. Does your board chair know about ISCA, the Independent School Chairpersons Association? The mission of ISCA is to support independent school board chairs in becoming effective governance leaders for their boards. ISCA accomplishes this by offering peer support and networking resources and educational opportunities. 
employees. Get your board chair connected to ISCA today by visiting iscachairs.org. That's I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. Let me get back to, you mentioned when you came to Pomfret, it was a, it was a group of eight. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your management style. How are you able to set expectations, set training to where everybody feels as though they get enough of your time to do a good job? How do you approach managing your staff? What does a week look like? Well, you know, I think I've approached it. I was lucky enough in my process to have a great um supervisors, great heads of school, and great mentors in the industry. And I think what I appreciated was um, their willingness to explain the why. Um, because if you're, if you're just making your widget and you're doing it in a vacuum, you don't understand how it fits into the big picture. And so I've always led from a point of transparency. I think that's really helpful. As my team is is wanting to go into the school year. What are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish? Where were we successful before? What are we putting out as an area of improvement? Um, so getting that overarching picture is important. So we all know where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling that we're in this together as a team. So I think it is important to have a weekly team meeting, okay. but also to have um you know, periodic one-on-one check-ins. Um, I know in, in the busy season, it can get really hard, but I really try to anchor with at least one hour-long one-on-one a term. So a fall, a winter, and a spring. But um, I do have very much an open-door policy. And so wanting to be able to make those connections on the fly. I think with a large office, um, it's important to know that you're part of a team, that you're not doing it alone but I can't do everything. So I've kind of set up a model of roles and responsibilities for each member of the team where they are a primary point on something and that they have a partner, a secondary. Let's just, you know, think about managing the tour guide program. That's a meaty program, you know? So having a primary, but knowing that they have a partner there. And of course I'm here to help in whatever way I can. I want to give you the autonomy and the ability to have voice and make changes in that program. You know, year one, if you're really green, we're going to do a boot camp. We're going to talk about all the different aspects of the process. But I, I really do ask every member of my team each year, you know, what are, what are your goals? What, do you, what are your professional goals? And not everyone aspires to be a director. And right. nor should everyone aspire to be a director. But if you're happy in where you are, how are you going to grow and add new tools to your toolbox? And I think that's important. I don't, I don't feel that you have to aspire to the next level, but I want this to be rewarding work. And I want you to have an area of a growing edge somewhere that you're really trying in. Um, So, you know, we, we, we set goals for our team. I think, you know, for all of us, there has been a critical importance to, to learn more about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work and ensure that that is incorporated in the work that we do. And so um, as a whole group, we've, we've spent considerable time I can doing, imagine. doing professional development, both as an office and how we reduce bias in our process how we ensure our engagement with students, 
that our language is inclusive and our materials are inclusive, but also I applaud Pomfret as an institution and the work that we've been doing around that as a whole institution as well. So um, it's a critically important thing for every institution to be working on. And I'm, I'm pleased that we're, we're taking that on as well. Well, you mentioned inclusion and obviously that uh, that's just part of the landscape these days. Do you, by the way, have, say you mentioned someone coming into your office green. Do you have a, an admissions procedural manual that you have put together? Is there, is there such a thing like that in your office? You know, I, not necessarily. So I have a, um, you know, a multi-page document that I call the general office operating procedure. Okay. Um, and I, I, I revise it every year. It really is to make sure that our team members understand um, kind of how we operate, what the expectations are about being in the office. You know, if you're balancing as many boarding school professionals are coaching and or teaching responsibilities, how do you juggle that plate uh, while travel and duty and things like that? Um, what an appropriate load is for interviewing, how to best be out on the road. Um, you know, we do. You've got, a, you've got a framework then. Oh, absolutely. And certainly preparing them for interviewing best practices, what we do in committee, how our rubric works and, you know, what we're looking for, how to engage with families with different questions. So, you know, I'm lucky enough, you know, my team, I have a fair number of seasoned professionals and we've worked as a group for the, together for the last three years. So certainly- Boy, that's important. That's well, real important. And very much so during this pandemic where we had to kind of pivot and change protocol, we were all already a strong team. Yes. And we're ready to make that move. Because there is a lot on your plate and you've described all the moving parts that you kind of have to oversee. Um, it's been said uh, because I actually have 10 years in corporate advertising sales, uh, be, as well as having run a school and admissions and advancement. Um Actually, it was Mark Sclaro who said admissions, some admission sales people need sales skills. And I wonder how, how do you how do you respond to that? And does the word sales bother you or um you know it doesn't bother me. I think you know what ends up turning people off is when we bring in too much corporate lingo into this this work. Um, uh -huh. But but no, I mean, I think you do need to have that delicate balance. I talk about wooing families, you know, it's, <laughs> um, to, again, I use the word authentic, you know, we're not, we're not selling used cars, we're not wanting to make the sale. But we want to make sure that they have the information they need. And oftentimes, people will ask a question that isn't really the core of what they're asking. You know, for example, if a, if a parent after an interview asks, you know, you know, tell me what the last kid got kicked out for, you uh -huh. know, that's not a question you're going to answer. It's, it's going to, you need to protect, you know, the, the student, the things like that. But I might say to that family, I get it. I get the sense that you have concerns about discipline and or culture. Let's talk a little bit about that. So I think it's, teaching your team how to answer the question that the person is at the heart trying to ask, but might not be. How do you, how do you share that? Um, so not saying that that's sales, but it's, it's really getting to the core of the buyer experience. What, what's, what's, what are they looking for? You know, why are they here? 
you know, I think NAS has done a great job in trying to, um, you know, distill down to, um, you know, what parents are looking for in that admissions process. You know, why are they moving into independent schools? Are they looking to create a, you know, a high level academic experience? Are they fixing a challenge that their child faced in terms of academics or community? Or are they looking for an elevated academic, um, athletic experience? Like getting to the core of their why is really important. So I guess that's, that's the sales part of it is understanding a parent's why and understanding a student's why. And I think you've articulated well that in order to do that, you have to ask the right questions empathetically. Absolutely. And as we talked about, there's, there's some fear, there's vulnerability. Um, and, um, you know, ensuring the parents understand like, yes, it's a competitive admissions process, but being overplaced or having a child in an environment where they're not going to be successful um, can do tremendous harm both to the child's confidence, their ability to find a, 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 the best right fit elsewhere. So really, I do see the work that we do is that of matchmaker. We want to really make sure that that child and that family um, has a clear understanding of the institution, of, our, of who we are and what we do, and that we've done our due diligence to ensure that we feel that child can find success in our environment. And success doesn't mean straight A's. Uh, success means that they are going to find their voice, that they're going to find connection, that they're going to be successful in the sense of finding an academic space where they're challenged, but that bar is not so out of reach that they're overwhelmed. Mm. Just to finish up with the, the whole sales aspect of it, what is your feeling uh, about bonuses and or commissions for people in the admissions office? You know, I, I really don't see that as um, an appropriate, as we said, it's not a sales lead. It's not, you're not closing a sale in a lot of ways. Like, yes, yield is an, an important metric, but we just talked about fit. So if you move to fill to fill, you can, you know, fill a school, but are you filling with mission appropriate students? Are you, um, sharing an authentic story. Um, I think, I, I don't think it will serve the profession well to um, do that. I think, you know, there certainly is opportunities to within the review process of any professional. Are you meeting your goals? Are you doing well? But I, I don't think bonus structure seems to make sense. I think it would probably be as part of the annual review and the potential increase in salary year over year by being a strong contributor uh, to the office. Okay, in, all right. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Now, let's get, now let's get back to the Amy out of the office. Uh, you were talking about when you first came to Pomfret, you really hadn't put your oxygen mask on first. Um, what have you learned and what's a day like for you that keeps you excited personally? I mean, do you eat certain foods? Do you work out in a certain way? Do you watch certain movies? Uh, you know, I, I am, I converted to be an early bird. I really enjoy getting up early and having that time to myself. Uh, so in an ideal day, I would get up at about 5.30 in the morning. Uh, it would be quiet. I would uh, take my yellow lab and put in my earbuds and listen 
do a podcast or an audible book and go for a 30 to 45 minute walk. Um, I'd come back and, and do about a 10 or 15 minute yoga or stretch. I would enjoy my cup of coffee and the quiet of the morning uh, before I got my 14 year old daughter up for school and, and getting, oh my gosh. getting things ready to go. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough that, um, you know, she's, I get to drop her off each morning to school. And so, you know, a good day in the office wrapping up at about, you know, four thirty, five o'clock. I do like the alone time at the beginning and end of the day. Mm-hmm. I find I'm most productive. Um, you know, being a member of a boarding community, I love the energy of having dinner in the dining hall and, and getting that social aspect and, you know, walking back home. Um, like everybody, you know, you know, there's that Netflix series that you're you're loving to watch. Um, you know, I'm my go-to, just a comfort like like comfort food. I love watching the Gilmore Girls, um, old series, but it just makes me smile. But I'm an early to bed when I can. You know, yeah. without traveling this year, um, I'm I'm typically turning in by nine nine thirty, which is great. So I prioritize sleep. I feel um, eight hours helps me. Um, be the best I can be. You know, I, when I, I try, I've not necessarily made this habit, but I, I go through cycles of maintaining a gratitude journal. I find that that's really helpful. Um, I, I get in, in good streaks of doing some meditation. Um, I think um, as a, as a lifelong learner, I know all the things I'm supposed to do. And at times I anchor them all in my life, but um, others, um, you know, as I said, I'm first to take off my oxygen mask and, and charge ahead for others. But, um, you know, wanting to have a long career, I, I've, I've realized that it's really important that self-preservation and self-care is so important. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm putting more in place and, you know, I love walking in nature. I think like many, the pandemic, as you were looking for safe activities, more folks started hiking. I've loved doing that. That's been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, finding those things, going back to puzzles, things that let you turn (laughs) up, stop you from scrolling through the phone. Um, trying, you know, those are all things that I'm doing. I like to cook. What do you Um, like to cook? What's uh, what's top of the menu? Oh, you know, I, I love finding new recipes and um, making kind of family comfort food. I'm a, a big fan of making grilled pizzas on the grill. I like doing that with various wow. toppings, um, you know, still comfort food, you know, finding that um, crepes have become a new um, household staple. So um, that's another one. Um, yeah, I'm just that sense of accomplishment of, of doing something and doing it well and having it be done. You know, so much of our industry, it runs on such a long cycle when we yes. talk about the admissions process. So I, I do like something that can be completed and celebrated. So I think that's what I'm oftentimes looking for, like a puzzle. Like when you complete that puzzle, you're happy. And yeah, it's, it's that instant gratification. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what about, I mean, I know you've traveled, obviously, in admissions, but do you have any personal favorites in terms of countries that you've been to? You know, I, I honestly, this is my husband laughs at me. I am such a homebody. Like, you know, uh, for the, the career that I have where we're around the world, um, you know, I, I like the simple things. We have a place on the Cape and I love just getting away and walking on the beach and having that coffee early in the morning and watching the waves. I think, 
little things like that bring me so much joy. And so when I need to go to that happy place and, and have that visual, that's what I'm often picturing. Well, I, I grew up in California, even though I'm a cheesehead by birth. Um, <laughs> there is something about, uh, I mean, the, the extra oxygenation that we get around the ocean. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to keep the you going to keep the Cape House when you go out to California? We are. So, you know, it's been really interesting. My husband and I are New Englanders by birth. You know, we both spent the first 25 years on the East Coast, 15 out in California, and then now ready to go back and and settle there again. Um, so, um Yes, you know, there's a draw to stay here. And I my husband's a teacher and having that opportunity to go back in the summers with with our daughter to the Cape each year is is going to be an anchor to stay connected with our families. And so we're really going to have the best of both worlds, California and and the East Coast. So you really are. I may have mentioned to you that I uh, in in the early days, I was a teacher at RLS. Mm -hmm. And you're going from one beautiful spot to another. I've got to tell you. Yeah, I feel very lucky. You know, and you've got you've got that country feel, but uh, yet San Francisco is just right up the road. Exactly. Exactly. Are you gonna? Are you a golfer? Uh, no, but I guess I really I really need to take that up. I don't know if I can pay the green fees just yet. But well, uh, <laughs> last I was there, they had some arrangement with Spyglass uh, as a school, so you might want to check that out if you want to try. <laughs> um, as we've talked about, you are a thought leader. You've 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 been in the trenches, you've seen the tough times, the good times, but take a, take a 10,000 foot view of the world, uh, not necessarily through the lens of education, but just the world at large. What do you think are, are some of the most pressing issues that we as human beings on this planet need to address moving forward for future generations? Wow. I mean, I think, you know, the pandemic, if, if it's taught us nothing, Nothing is that as a world, we're so deeply connected. And we have to acknowledge that. That when we think about what's happening in other parts of the world, um, it can and will affect us. And so we are not our own bubble. Um, and that's important. And pain and challenge elsewhere needs to be acknowledged. And, and we have a have a role to play. I think that's a big part when we think about um, the pandemic, we think about climate change, we think about the inequities that are out there right now. I think these are critical issues that every human being needs to face. And whether you're a business or a school, um, you have to wrestle with that and what role you play in that. And I think that is what schools are, are facing right now is an acknowledgement of, of the privilege and the role we've played in, um, in some of the systemic racism and challenges that we've been facing and an acknowledgement of the work of doing the work and that there's still a ways to go and, and a willingness to continue to do that. Well, I agree. Uh, you know, when it boils down to it, regardless of country, for example, there are certain common bonds. I mean, a smile is a smile. Mm-hmm. You know, it always means the same thing. Um, let's let's think about the freeway of life. Okay, there's one big freeway in life, and there's a billboard. 
What do you want to say on that billboard? Everybody's going to drive by. What do you want to say? You know, I, I think it's important to, to lead with humility and to remain optimistic. Um, I, I, I want to see things from opportunity and from a place of positivity. Challenges are present everywhere in every industry. And so if you are constantly in a woe is me, oh, this is so hard, um, you're going to get into that negative spiral. As you said, you know, a smile can brighten someone else's day. Um, so lead with optimism at the same time that, that, you know what, this is a challenge. Acknowledge that. Okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Um, you can really build some energy from there. So I've really tried to approach this, my work, my, my outlook on life from that position. Um, I feel, you know, I feel blessed. I've had a lot of good in my life, but as everyone does, I've had hardship too. But I think if you wake up with, with gratitude and you look to the future as opportunities um, that you can, can mine and take advantage of, I think that's a great outlook on life. So, and we don't do it alone in terms of humility. Like, you know, when I think of, of the opportunities I've had, as I mentioned, I've had great mentors, great leaders. I've got a great team and we do this all together. So celebrating that network and creating that network um, because we don't do this alone. No, we, sh we sure don't. And I, and I will share with you that the whole approach to life optimistically and with compassion is shared by so many of your colleagues. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, you know, you getting back to your routine, you know, as, as all top performers, you've got a routine in your life uh, of, of what you tactically do, but the attitude is, is one of enthusiasm and looking over the next mountaintop uh, and never, never stop learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it really, I guess that's the secret recipe, right? <laughs> you have been so gracious to uh, spend your time with me and our listeners. Is there anything you want to finish up with or anything that you haven't said that you'd like to impart? I do want to say that I, I've loved being in this industry. I've loved the field of admissions enrollment management and how supportive we are of each other. And the opportunity, I, you know, can pick up the phone and feel pretty comfortable calling just about anyone, anywhere with a question and how when we gather for conferences and things like that, um, we're sharing war stories and the whole idea that a, a rising tide raises all boats. And um, I think that's so heartening that that's how we operate as an industry. So what I would say to anyone is the importance of ask for help if you need it. And if you are in a position, help others, um, you know, give back in whatever way you can. Uh, your mentorship will probably create that next admissions director and leave a lasting legacy. So um, give back if you're able to. You know, that's a very powerful statement uh, about how mentorship is going to create the next generation of admissions professionals, uh, because there is no yet college degree. There's I think USC has a certificate program. Um, but it's got to be through good training and good mentorship that people want to say, this is, this is the path for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, again, I want to thank you for your gracious time. I wish you and your family and your team 
a safe and productive spring. And, and I don't know if you're going to make it out to the Cape right now, you're probably still packing and the truck's <laughs> pointing towards the West, but uh, do travel safely and just have a fantastic fall out there at Robert Louis Stevenson. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Uh, it's my pleasure. You take care now. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a short review on your favorite platform. It takes less than 60 seconds, and it really makes a difference in helping to convince those hard-to-get guests. Also, I really love reading the reviews. Lastly, please explore the full range of our recruiting services, guest opportunities, memberships, newsletters, past shows, and our exciting promotional campaigns for 2021. Through this podcast, Roar Magazine, the first ever lifestyle publication for admission professionals that launches this summer, and Admission Fest Summit, power marketing for the new era. This summit will be held in San Diego on December 5th. Please go to our website for all details at www.dartmouthassociates.com. That's www.dartmouthassociates.com. Thank you again for being part of our wonderful membership, and I wish you an absolutely terrific day. This episode is brought to you by Winner Marketing. They are a global company that actually understands independent schools. I know. As their advisor, I bring 30 years of educational success, both as a head of school and director of admissions. They don't try to squeeze you into a campaign template that doesn't fit your educational needs. Instead, they first listen carefully to your concerns and develop a creative solution just for you. They understand the increasing competition in the marketplace and aggressively pursue a comprehensive campaign to elevate the school brand to your target market. Their precise approach guides potential families from awareness to inquiry and to finally enroll. They use world-class methods to raise credibility and rankings by featuring you in top-tier press campaigns and optimizing your Google rankings with dynamic content. Additionally, they create press releases, funnel and ad campaigns, SMS and email nurturing. Also, they enhance domain authority, create backlink strategies, and engage top-tier retainers to get you featured in platinum publications such as Forbes and Business Insider. They will also create a podcast branding tour to exponentially increase your exposure. They've got the skills to help small nonprofits to multi-million dollar corporations. Contact them now. They can save your school. You can reach them at their website, which is winner, W-Y-N-N-E-R, marketing, Com. That's Winner Marketing, W-Y-N-N-E-R Marketing.com. Or reach them via email at info at WinnerMarketing.com. That's I-N-F-O at Winner, W-Y-N-N-E-R Marketing.com. This episode is sponsored by the NinjaGram App. Let's talk about automating your social media with the Ninjagram app over at www 
ninjagram.app. This Instagram software will help you automate and grow your Instagram following fast by using their auto follow, auto unfollow, auto comment, auto like, and auto story views feature, and much more. Get over to www.ninjagram.app today to purchase and download the Ninjagram app at www.ninjagram.app and start growing your Instagram following fast today. Also, I want to give a shout out to my producers over at Hype Music Network and jwattproduction.com. These guys produce all my episodes and I trust no one else to bring the quality performance I demand every time. If you need help with your first podcast, they will take you by the hand and guide you through the whole process. Visit them at hypemusicnetwork.com. That's H-Y-P-E-M-U-S-I-C-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com and at jwattproduction.com. That's J-A-Y-W-A-T-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N.com. You will not be disappointed.